Welcome to 52 Episodes to Science Fiction Film Literacy. My name is Chris Garcia. Roll sound. Come 1950, science fiction was about to start on a major upswing in the feature film area. And there are a bunch of reasons for this. One, the end of World War II meant a massive prosperity boom. And there's this huge, huge push for the sciences. And that becomes important because this newfound respect for science, and I really believe, honestly, that it was the explosion of the atomic bombs over Hiroshima and Nagasaki that brought about this newfound interest in science. Not to mention all the returning servicemen with all their experience in the new technical aspects that came about because of World War II. There's all these new things, but another thing that is definitely majorly important is the rise of the science fiction magazine. And there had been science fiction magazines dating back to the early 1900s, and appearances of science fiction in other magazines dates back pretty much as far as there's been science fiction, (coughs) or at least magazines. But the idea here was that these ideas were coming in in things like astounding, amazing stories, and all these new ones that were popping up. So what's happened is there's this world that is ripe of science fiction. Now what happens is we start to see a push of films, both high and low budget at this point, and we're very close to seeing the explosion of sort of the B picture. And there are lots of reasons for that. We'll get into that in, a, I think, the next episode, in fact. There is a film tradition called The Great Idea. And there's a second one called Jumping the Gate. A major motion picture will be greenlit. And it will obviously be pushing towards being a major hit. And what will happen is, two or three other smaller producers will try to, one, beat it to the punch and come out first. And then the big one will hit, and then there's a huge slew of follow-ons. Usually at about the same time, or even before, there's one or two that come out. In this case, the 100-pound leech, I guess, is Destination Moon. And Destination Moon was getting all sorts of press. It was going to be the most scientifically accurate film ever made. Uh, Walter Lance had put together a Woody Woodpecker cartoon for it. Robert Heinlein was working on it. Chesley Bonestell was doing stuff. It was going to be a major, major science fiction production. So producers, obviously, when this happens, try to send out their one before. You see this in the 2000s, really evidently. There was a classic example of Troy, which was going to be this big picture, and two or three smaller films came out with the exact same theming, one of it pretty much the exact same story, 
right before. And you see this happen all the time. So, Rocket Ship XM was pushed very quickly. And what was known about Destination Moon was that it was based on a Heinlein story. And basically what they did was they synthesized all of Heinlein's themes without using the exact same story as Destination Moon, but they synthesized all his themes down into a very compact story and rushed it to production. I wouldn't say it's a B picture. It's still an A picture. This definitely would have headlined a double feature. But it's... One, it's just not as good. It's... It moves too fast. It's too pat. (coughs) The effects are... I wouldn't say super cheap, but they're not cutting edge. They did have Lloyd Bridges, who put on a fantastic performance. Really did. And one of the reasons for that is that he, at that point, was the living epitome of a Robert Heinlein hero. He had this aura of confidence and Americanism and was just really good. Here he pulls off everything he's asked to do with this charm that is undeniable. And the crew is, of course, sort of different. There's a woman on the crew, and this is very, very important. She's this brilliant scientist. And there's a press conference very early on in the picture. And the only woman reporter we see asks her, of course, uh, why do you think they chose you to be the woman in space? And she sort of answers it, but then the head of the program jumps in and defends her. And her answer isn't really taken seriously. And she sort of hems and haws. But it's not until the authority male comes in and says this is why she's perfect for it that she becomes a serious part of this crew. At least to the outside world. And that's a theme that is all throughout science fiction at these points. And when we talk about uh, Mars and Beyond... There is a segment in it that will definitely deal with this very issue. (coughs) What's interesting here isn't the fact that this is a knockoff of Destination Moon, because it's not. It's a pre-knockoff. But it's one of the first films to deal with sending people into space for space exploration in a feature aspect of the 1950s. It is one of the first uses of a theremin, in fact, which is phenomenal, and I'm hoping I'll be able to include a clip of Leo Theremin, or Leon Theremin, I think, uh, playing the theremin in, I think it was 1989 at Stanford. I'm hoping that's coming soon. But this has all the hallmarks of 1950s science fiction, without all the baggage of being a great movie. That sort of happens sometimes. Space exploration would be a major, major theme of the 1950s. You had Rocket Ship XM, you had Destination Moon, you had, of course, Forbidden Planet. And when we start to see 
science fiction in the 1960s, they're still doing that. Things like the Angry Red Planet very early in the, the year. But you're also seeing a turn towards more... more apocalyptic themes, things like The Day the Earth Caught Fire. You're seeing more political themes, starting in the 50s with Invasion of the Body Snatchers and the other one whose name completely escaped me right now. Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers and The Day the Earth Stood Still. And that carries on to the 60s, and you see a lot more of that. Planet of the Apes, actually, I would say, falls into that category. And you see this explosion in the 1960s and late, later 50s, starting about 1950, but going on throughout the decade, this explosion of science fiction titles, and in particular the cheaper ones. I would say this is less, less indebted to the B-movie tradition than a number of other films that come into this point, including the serials. I think the B-movies of the 50s came more from the serials than from films like this, like Rocketship XM. But Rocketship XM represents sort of the second tier of A-pictures. And it's not self-consciously bad. There were lots of films in the 50s that knew they weren't able to give us great films. And they still tried, but they didn't make that extra step. Ed Wood is the best example of this, and we'll be talking about him later, too. But it didn't... It didn't succeed as broadly as it could have. Now, there's an excellent example of secondary usage called Mystery Science Theater 3000, MST3K. And they actually did an episode on Rocket Ship XM. But... The deal has never been made to actually release it on home video because the current owners of the copyright to the picture say it's not... What, what was the phrase they used, I think? It's not... It's not appropriate to make fun of it. And I kind of disagree with that. It is all the tropes we expect of 1950s serious science fiction, but... It's imperfectly executed. And the fact that it's black and white doesn't help either. It's the color pictures of the 1950s that really change things. So Rockship XM is worth watching. It's, it's a very interesting turning point. It is the introduction to the 1950s. It really is. More than Destination Moon, I think. Because Destination Moon was trying to do something very niche, or niche. It was trying to make a film that took the science seriously. And I'm not saying that this is completely off-the-wall science, but there is a little bit of wonky science to it. But this was a picture, a solid picture, not a great picture, but a picture that was created not only to jump the gun, but to kick off this whole thing the whole sort of space exploration concept in the feature science fiction film. And it worked very well, as that at least. I don't think it worked as well as a full picture, with the exception that I think Lloyd Bridges is great. Hello, Brian's not bad either. 
The next few films, I don't know exactly what order I'm doing them in, but are going to be pretty interesting. We've got the first of our B pictures uh, that we'll be talking about, Robot Monster. We've got, of course, Forbidden Planet. I'm very excited about that. I watch it about once every five years, and I'm late, I think, for this one. Of course, we've got another animated short that we'll be talking about that has probably the most impact of any animated short in the science fiction world. You'll understand when you hear me talk about it. Gush about it is more like it. And we'll be ending the 1950s, of course, with the only film I've ever seen that actually benefited from colorization and being made 3D more than 50 years after it was released. So stay tuned.